0: This is a CBC Podcast.
1: Hi there, I'm David Cochran, and this is the Power and Politics Podcast for Friday, December 8th. On the pod today, more than 24 hours of non-stop voting. Will a conservative filibuster have any impact on the carbon tax? Political insiders are here to debate the merits of this parliamentary showdown. And CBC News learned some influential Muslim donors are turning their backs on the Liberals. We'll tell you why. Plus, we followed her story from the beginning. Now Azia Mathcour is safely out of Gaza with her husband and two children. But she tells us the trauma is far from over. Okay, this is a live look at the House of Commons where MPs are locked in a marathon session of in person and electronic voting. They have 135 votes to get through. They started late yesterday afternoon and voted through the night and throughout today. This is an effort by the Conservatives to stall the Liberal government's legislation with an avalanche of votes unless the government scraps parts of its carbon tax. Motion carried. La well, a, a rundown on this marathon session. I'm joined by the CBC's Kate McKenna, who is, I don't know, been assigned or punished with covering this filibuster here in Parliament. Uh, but you, you've been watching this uh, uh, all day today. Uh, w- what's happening?
2: Well, we're 100 votes down and, and counting. I think it might actually be closer to 103 now. And I can tell you uh, quite definitively that a lot of MPs in the House are looking quite tired. Uh, you know, they've been there, some of them, for almost 24 hours. Uh, we can see uh, there is uh, Health Minister Mark Hollins, uh, green blazer yeah Yeah, he's been wearing that the whole time so uh we've heard from different mps who say that they've been taking nine minute naps in between uh these votes and the conservatives have voted against uh every uh government estimate so far liberals were quick to put on social media kind of the things that they've been voting against Uh, we can think of aid for uh hurricane fiona uh we can think of uh, the ukrainian canadian uh uh, group uh reached free out free
1: trade agreement yeah
2: yeah, yeah they voted a- against uh, specifically um Ukrainian interests, which caught the eye of, of a group that uh, condemned that. But uh, the Conservatives would say that what they're trying to do is um, raise awareness, I guess, or, or convince the Trudeau government to get rid of uh, certain parts of the carbon, uh, the price on carbon. And right. so we're talking about, or they're talking about farmers, uh, families, and uh, First Nations. So they want a full exemption for First Nations. They want a private member's bill, a Conservative private member's bill that they say would uh, take the tax off of uh, some uh, farmers, particularly livestock and grain farmers. They want mm-hmm. that passed unamended. And uh, they also want a full exemption on home heating fuel. And of course, we know that comes after uh, the Liberals' decision to remove the tax on home heating oil in October. So uh, that's what they say they're pushing. But as you said off the top, uh, Justin Trudeau saying that's absolutely not going to happen. And he's been fairly consistent in saying that since that last exemption was made in October. Uh, saying that they're committed to this. they ran on this and and they're willing to defend this and so the result of that has been uh Nearly 24 hours of voting. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and and, and, you you make the point that uh, the Conservatives have framed this as uh, uh, removing the carbon tax for families, farmers, and First Nations for good, Uh, but the Liberals have countered with a a documentation, a list of every line item. And on the Ukraine issue. The the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress is quite upset with the Conservatives for voting against a free trade agreement, and today the Liberals pointed out they voted against defense money, which included money for Operation Unifier, which is the program where Canadian soldiers train Ukrainian soldiers now. The opposition votes against every money bill, but you know, this is how it is playing out politically as everybody looks for a wedge. But on the duration of this, Kate, it's twenty-three hours and counting. Conservatives are threatened to make this last until Christmas. I mean, what's next on
3: this?
2: Well, that's a good question, and that's certainly the question that we're all going to be watching heading into next week. But you can imagine even tonight, probably, members of Parliament wanted to be in their home ridings um, Mm -hmm. going to Hanukkah events, because we know it's it's Hanukkah, uh, getting ready for Christmas, doing all of the things that they need to do uh, going into the holiday season. But I was speaking with someone from the party earlier today who did uh, say that there will be Some sort of additional tactics or shenanigans that will happen next week. The extent and duration of those, I guess we'll have to see. Uh, You you know, Christmas is still a while away. And and as you mentioned, Pierre Polyev vowed to keep the house sitting until Christmas. So that will be a lot of delays uh, if if they manage to keep it that long. But they say they're committed to this and they say that uh, should Justin Trudeau and the Liberals decide to uh, amend the carbon, the pricing on carbon scheme, then then they would be open to ending this.
1: Okay. Uh, There's no room for compromise there, I don't think. All right, Kate, thanks so much. That's the CBC's uh, Kate McKenna. All right, we're going to turn now to the foyer of the House of Commons. That, of course, is where conservatives are threatening more votes until the carbon tax is at least partly repealed. We are voting against the budget. We're just doing it a little bit of a different way this time to highlight the fact that Justin Trudeau is going to radically increase the carbon tax and we are going to keep doing this until he listens to Canadians and as the tax. I'm joined now by Parliamentary Secretary to the Government House Leader Kevin Lamoureux and NDP House Leader Peter Julian. And I want to make it clear we did request a Conservative Party member of Parliament for this panel, but no one was made available. All right, Mr. Lamoureux, let's start with you. Just how much sleep have you had, first of all, in the last 24 hours or so? Have you slept? Uh, not very much. Uh, actually,
4: uh, I woke up uh, Thursday morning at 6 a.m. and was here at uh, for the 10 a.m. opening, and I haven't uh, I haven't left the West Block. I've been inside the chamber with the exception
1: of going to the bathroom or having a little bit of food. <laughs> uh, Mr. Julian, what about you? How are you holding up?
0: Uh, very, very well. I, I used to work a night shift at a, at a factory, so I'm, I'm used to doing night work. I guess I've had three hours sleep in the last 36, but... Um, the important thing is we're preserving all these programs that the Conservatives uh, and uh, Pierre Polyev are trying to cut. And, and I, I will say that the, I think the reason why they, they wouldn't show for a panel like this is because the public reaction has been profoundly negative to what they're trying to do, this stunt that they put on, and the costs of uh, well over a million dollars of taxpayers' money being put into this stunt that Mr. Polyev hasn't really showed up to. He showed up for an hour and a half, I think, last night, Mm-hmm. and uh, most conservatives aren't even in the House. Uh, so it, it's uh, been a very expensive stunt with a significantly negative public reaction, and I think that's why conservatives aren't willing to defend their position.
1: Well, if a conservative is watching and changes are mind, or if the press office is watching, we're happy to have you on later in the show. But, but right now, uh, Mr. Lamoureux, I just wonder, where are we in this process? Uh, because, you know, obviously this has been going since Thursday, Yes. Will this be done today? Will it go into tomorrow? Where, where are we right now?
4: We we actually started the voting at uh, about five forty-five on Thursday afternoon. Uh, we're still going strong. Uh, I think that we're about uh, uh, thirty hours into actual voting, and I'm expecting that uh, we could end as early of as early as let's say eleven o'clock tonight, uh, maybe midnight, just going past. Uh, Midnight, Um, and it's really interesting. Uh, I think that if you take a look in terms of the uh, performance, uh, that the uh, the uh, NDP block, and I can speak specifically for the Liberal caucus or the governing caucus, has been participating at full strength. Uh, we take this uh, very serious. Uh, every vote is a, a confidence uh, vote. And uh, so we've had members uh, in the House, in the MP lobbies, uh, in the West Block, making sure uh, that they're actually voting, which is a lot more than the Conservatives uh, that we've uh, seen over the last 24-plus
1: hours. Well, well, Mr. Julian, if Mr. Lamoureux's uh, prediction is right, and this is over before midnight tonight what happens on monday because the the threat uh when mr poliev announced his filibuster was to keep the house going through christmas if necessary and to ruin vacation so is this the end of it that it was peter out tonight or are we back at this situation on monday in parliament?
0: He, he, well he, he he you recall he tried to threaten to have us sit all through the summer uh he threatened to hold the hold parliament up and then spoke for an hour and a half uh that seems to be the limit of what, what effort he's willing to put out. And then basically dropped that, that, all of that bravado and all of the, all of those threats. What I find profoundly dis- disconcerting, David, is what the Conservatives have been voting to end. They've been en- voting to end supports for public health care, including the National Suicide Prevention Line. They've been voting to end uh, uh, s- significant supports that are in place now for Indigenous peoples, uh, for farmers, for Atlantic Canadians, uh, for for things like the correctional services, making sure that uh, that the public is protected, the, the RCMP, national defence. Uh, you can go on and on. Environment, parks, uh, there are 120 betrayals in what the Conservatives have been voting to end in terms of current funding. And it, it just doesn't make sense when you think of, of what Canadians are struggling with. Uh, not only are the Conservatives saying, we're, we don't believe the, the, the Canadians should should get any more support, they're also saying we're going to take away the supports that exists now. It's just the most bizarre, uh, quite frankly, dumb strategy I've ever seen in Parliament, and I think that's why Conservatives aren't willing to defend uh, their strategy over the last few days, as well as the total waste of taxpayers' money uh, and the fact that we are asking the hardworking members of the administrative staff and and everybody who's part of the House of Commons to do double shifts and triple shifts without warning, all because of Mr. Polyev's uh, ego. He, he said that he would cancel Christmas. What he's done is, I think, canceled his credibility.
1: Well, you know, Mr. Lamoureux, uh, the, the Conservatives would argue they're doing this to force your government to, you know, cancel uh, a lot of its carbon pricing mechanisms and repeal some of its policies, which, which I know you're, you're not going to do, and, and they could explain it for themselves if they accepted our invitation to, to be on this panel. But, but I, I want to just look ahead to Monday, uh, Mr. Lamoureux. Uh, is this the end of it tonight, or, or, well, or are, there, are there procedural methods they could come back with Monday to try to extend this to Christmas, as they threatened?
4: Well, uh, first and foremost, I like to to recognize technology. As uh, Peter was talking, I just finished being
1: able to to vote on my app, so every vote uh, counts. Did you vote to axe the tax, or did you vote to support your government? Uh,
4: You know, this whole axe the tax uh, is an absolute joke. He hasn't demonstrated leadership at all. I voted uh, confidence in moving forward and building a stronger and healthier uh, economy. You you know, David, what's interesting, and maybe it's a bit of a different angle between me and Peter uh, but at the end of the day what I see is a very a different type of leadership one that's more of a Donald Trump spreading of misinformation uh, it's truly amazing to the degree and I've been in politics for a long time as a parliamentarian 30 years. I've never seen a party move so far to the right and be so dependent on spreading misinformation. And when they stand up, for example, and they say tax or cut the, uh, the carbon tax uh, and put the money into the pockets. They don't know what they're talking about because they're actually taking money out of most Canadians' pockets, actually, in reality. It's a spreading of misinformation. It's that far right. Um, and I'm sure Donald Trump is proud, quite frankly, of the leader of the Conservative Party. And I have not seen a demonstration of true uh, leadership to try to, uh, to build a, a stronger or healthier uh, country. And the best example of that? Where's the policy on climate, uh, the environment. Uh, They do uh, not recognize that climate change is in fact real. It's really... Uh, you know, their, their, their positioning, uh, you know, I talk about the Homer Simpson Award. Right. You know, they, they really deserve a Homer Simpson Award uh, on their uh, climate uh, policy or the lack of uh, a
1: policy on the environment. Okay, uh, and, and look, uh, the, the conservatives have a lot to say on this, and, and I, I remind the audience again, we invited them to participate in this, and, and no one was made available. But sort of back to my original question there, Mr. Lamoureux, what happens Monday? Do you get your legislative agenda back on track, or or are you anticipating more tactics, more filibusters, or something that we know of at this point that suggests Monday is going to be like today? To give you a sense, we've seen concurrence motions
4: galore. Uh, They moved uh, 19,700 and some amendments to one piece of legislation. One piece of legislation. Incredible. I've never heard of that before. Um, And I'm expecting that they are going to do whatever they can, as they have done in the last number of weeks, to prevent government legislation from being able to pass, including the Canada-Ukraine trade agreement. The first time ever a conservative party has voted against a trade agreement happens to be the Canada-Ukraine trade agreement. Ukraine's at war. The president of Ukraine comes to Canada, signs an agreement with the prime minister, and the leader of the conservative party... Votes no makes no sense at all. It's that far right element. It's infiltrated the leader of the the official opposition's office.
1: So, so Mr. Julian, I know you say you used to work night shift at a factory, but even night shift workers get a break. I mean, do you think you're going to get one uh, on Monday or what do you think is going to happen? Do you think the Uh, committees will be held up? Do you think the, the commons will be held up?
0: Oh, I, I mean, I think there, there's some minor procedural things that the Conservatives can do. The reality is it's estimates uh, and this voting that is ultimately their, their biggest tool. And, and the, in a few hours, that runs out. Uh, the 20,000 20, amendments that were generated by artificial intelligence that uh, Kevin speaks to, mm-hmm. uh, those were disposed of in five minutes by the committee because the Conservatives screwed up on their tactics and and basically, did the amendments wrong. So the the reality is, I don't have a lot of confidence in their team. They, they have a dumb strategy. Uh, they will try some of the the tactics they've used in the past, but I, I don't think they're going to work. And, and for your viewers, because I, I think this may be well the the first time we've had live voting on uh, on a political program. So Power and Politics being a pioneer yet again. What we, what we have to do with this phone is take a picture of ourselves to go with our current vote. So of the 120 votes, we have to take 120 pictures if we're, if we're outside the House and send that live picture along with the vote to ensure that our identity has been confirmed. So it's actually really sophisticated technology. Uh, most uh, conservatives use this more than anyone else. They use the remote voting more than any other party. And it, it is something, I think, that allows members of parliament to... Sometimes be in two places at once. And, that, and that's important, I think, for us to be more effective in the work that we do on behalf of Canadians.
1: No, but, and Kevin Lamoureux, just as a final point with you, I mean, it's hard to use remote voting from a distance away from Ottawa when it's a confidence motion and you're the government, given the circumstances. But it sounds like what you have said about what's going to happen today and looking ahead to next week that the Christmas filibuster is not going to happen and and that Parliament may very well get back to a more regular schedule next week unless we see some other seismic tactic here by the Conservatives?
4: Well, I I can tell you uh, from a personal perspective, I'll be here on Christmas Day. It doesn't bother me at all. Uh, I'm here to, to work. And if he feels that he can filibuster us and bring it all the way uh, to Christmas time, we have important legislation that needs to be passed. Um, and at the end of the day, he can continue to play that destructive role on the floor of the House of Commons. Uh, but we are going to continue to hold some sense of accountability for irresponsible leadership that we've seen. And just very quickly on that, uh, When Peter was talking about the the vote app, Um, when you think of the the vote app, uh, David, it is uh, very much historic. It's probably the greatest reform that we've seen in the House of Commons since we actually had the House of Commons televised. Um, It's a huge, huge uh, thing to, to actually have today.
1: Well, you know, some people may think televising this place is part of the problem in politics, <laughs> but I don't know. Uh, you know, what would I do for a living? Uh, look, uh, I, I we'll let you get back to it because uh, you've got a long night ahead of you yet. Uh, Kevin Lamoureux and Peter Julian, thanks so much. And again, we did request a conservative for this panel, but none were made available. CBC News has learned a group of Canadian Muslims is leaving the federal Liberal Party's top donor ranks. The group is called the Network 100, and its members say they are frustrated by the Prime Minister's refusal to call for a permanent ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war. The CBC's Rafi Boudjikani broke this story, and he's here with me now. So, So Rafi, what do we know about this group's complaints?
5: David, it's probably no big secret that historically Canadian Muslim communities have been big supporters of Justin Trudeau's Mm liberals specifically. After after October 7th, though, things have changed. The group says that after Hamas killed 1,200 Israelis and then the ensuing Israeli military campaign, where estimates now say more than 17,000 people have been killed, Palestinians have been killed, They've been looking for change. Behind the scenes, they've been asking the Liberal government to call for a permanent ceasefire. As you know, that's not a position Justin Trudeau has struck. So in late November, their patience ran out. They wrote a letter to the Liberal Party president where they announced they're leaving the Liberals' top donor ranks. We'll have an excerpt up on the screen for you. In part, the letter says, The leader does not appear to be interested in truly listening, nor interested in giving true value to international law, nor truly caring about the children of Gaza. With broken hearts, we must depart the Laurier Club. We hope a principled approach is is adopted without further deadly delay. Mm. So the Laurier Club, the liberals expect you to donate $1,700 a year individually to be a part of this tier. So the group tells me there is nearly 400 of them. So you do that math and that's, you know, more than... $500,000 $500,000 a year, the Liberals could be losing potentially. I did speak to one of their members about why they're doing this. Have a listen to part of our conversation. It's horrifying. We cannot sleep at night imagining by the time you sleep and you get up, there's at least 50 Palestinian getting killed on the ground. Now, Abu Qasim and other members of the group tell me that this is not just a pocketbook issue they're, they're trying to create here either. They point out that with them come you know, donors who perhaps donate smaller amounts than, right. than the maximum, also organizers, volunteers. The kind of stuff you really need in some key writings, right? Like the 905, Southern Ontario, and uh, they say that when they leave, they expect that will disappear with them.
1: Yeah, an enormous uh, financial challenge. If it is 400 uh, Laurier members, that's $680,000 a year. And when you're being out-fundraised by the Conservatives, you need every dollar you can get as the Conservatives. But, you know, Rafi, uh, we've seen this, the fault lines of, of this particular conflict. It runs right through the Liberal base. It runs right through the Liberal caucus in terms of their makeup, they've dealt with it internally. How are they reacting to this news of all of these donors
5: abandoning the party over this? So when I first approached the party, I just got a statement from them saying it's normal for Canadians to donate to different political parties in support of particular causes and that they're engaged with all their supporters. Uh, But it's clear from reaction on the Hill today that the government is seized with this issue.
2: There are hard conversations going on right now. There's a really awful situation happening in the Middle East. And we are having those hard conversations, both internally, but also with our donors and supporters. And that's something that we're going to continue to do.
5: David, you mentioned the fault lines through the caucus. Of course, there are more than 20 liberal MPs that have publicly called for a ceasefire. The group, the Network 100, tells me that they might consider still individually supporting some of the MPs that have taken that stance. Otherwise, they uh, they say that they're giving Justin Trudeau until January to change his position and they might start throwing their weight behind NDP and Green candidates if that does not happen.
1: Okay, Rafi, uh, good work. That's the CBC's Rafi Bujikani with that exclusive story. Thank you. <laughs> House will now proceed to the vote for members participating in person. All those in favor of the motion will please rise. Mr. Trudeau. Monsieur Trudeau.
6: All those opposed to the motion will please rise. Mr. Paliev.
7: Mr. Paliev. I declare the motion carried.
1: My calculation, doubling the amount of time we spent, doesn't get us to Christmas. I wonder, are there some other votes we're not aware of that the leader of the Conservative Party is?
7: Or did he mislead Canadians? Oh! But we on this side will be jingle-belling our way through this recorded vote. Uh
1: Okay, so that's Canada's Parliament over the last 24 hours. That's some of what MPs are up to in the House overnight, and they're still voting right now. Uh, You can see it there. That is the electronic voting portion of what's going on. The Conservatives are forcing a vote marathon over its call for additional carbon tax carve-outs for farmers, families, and First Nations. The marathon could end if House leaders strike a deal, but at this point, that seems very, very, very unlikely.
5: This can all end as soon as Justin Trudeau decides to listen to Canadians, back down from
1: his uh, egotistical position and acts the tax rate.
2: All of us um, are extremely motivated to be here because our job is not to muck this place up. It's actually to deliver for Canadians.
0: Mr. Polyev showed up uh, for a few few minutes but basically has not been here. And the cost to Canadians of over a million dollars, one really has to think that what he was trying to do was cancel Christmas but what he's really done is cancel his own credibility.
1: All right, so what will Canadians make of this political tactic? We're going to talk about that with the Friday Power Panel. Nigan Sinclair is a columnist for the Winnipeg Free Press and a professor of Indigenous Studies at the University of Manitoba. Here with me in the studio in Ottawa, Marie Vastel is an editorial writer for Le Devoir. Journalist and author, Paul Wells is here, as is Susan Delacorte, national columnist for the Toronto Star. Gang, I will confess, when I heard Karina Gould say, muck this place up, I thought she was going (laughs) to say something else. Uh, Susan, you know, we've seen filibuster tactics uh, before... Do they work? Are they effective? Do you get a political bump or do you just waste everybody's time?
3: Yeah, I was watching your panel last night and uh, James Moore recalling the good old days of filibusters <laughs> uh, when Harper was in power too. Some of this is is old, you know, that's yeah. uh, an, an old tactic and um, it does have an interesting kind of spin-off effect though too. It's a team-building exercise as well. You saw the joy yeah. in conservative land, you know, like they... Uh, it's not like they need any other reason. Well, you brought the
1: McDonald's at one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were delighted to get some fast food. Live right. in the dream. Yeah. yeah.
3: Um, and but you also see the liberals. You know, um, I think they're they're sort of enerv- enervated or energized by this too. Um, so these things can be like those parliamentary trips. Mm-hmm. You know that uh, they go on. I, I think there's one significant thing about this though that. The voting is not on the issue that the conservatives say that they are doing no. this for. It's on, it's, there, there are no votes on the carbon tax. So at five o'clock this morning, they voted against uh, military aid for Ukraine. Yeah. And just like they like putting out clips of, of what's going on uh, in the House of Commons, the Liberals were enjoying putting that clip up on on social media this morning.
1: Yeah, Paul, that, that is interesting, right? Because it, it is a money bill that they're, they're holding up here, yeah. and they're saying it's, uh, we're doing it to get these other things, but they are generating a lot of video material and historical records of them voting against things that voters may in fact like.
7: Yeah, I mean, I sure noticed... Look. look Anything that is permitted by the rules is legitimate. A party does not even have to be in the majority position to exercise its rights to you know pull the levers and, and, and and maximize its time and its and its effect. This is probably helping the conservatives fundraise and so on and so on. I sure noticed when they <laughs> voted against Op Unifier, yeah. which is the training program for Ukrainian soldiers. So did the um, Ukrainian-Canadian Congress. Sorry. Absolutely. And um, uh, was created while Stephen Harper was prime minister and is the best thing that Canada has done for Ukraine. Um, it, uh, everyone watching will take away their own moment when they felt a little uncomfortable with the way people were voting in the House of Commons. That one was mine.
1: Yeah, Marie, what's your take on, on what we've seen in the last, what, twenty almost 24 hours? In about seven minutes, it'll be a full 24 hours. <laughs>
6: but who's counting? Except the the people MPs in that house. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the pages. I agree with my colleagues that we've seen this before, and I think so far it's, it's really a day and a half, not even because they usually end sitting earlier on Fridays, so it's really about 24 hours wasted, um, well, not even, anyway, about a day wasted of, of housework so far. In that sense, I don't think it's dramatic. Uh, I also think it it plays to the conservative base for now, who are probably very cynical about Parliament, about politics, and aren't all that flustered about Parliament not working for a day or a day and a half. I think the risk is if this keeps going on, because we don't know what Mr. Poliev has in mind next, right? He's saying he'll keep doing this. I think the problem starts if they keep delaying the House of Commons with debates or blocking votes or blocking um, other House business. And that's when I think there's a risk that it starts looking a little bit dysfunctional and like they're, they're essentially paralyzing the democratic process as the liberals are saying. As of now, I don't think they are. I think they're doing what other parties do. Um, but I think that is the risk. Also, because in the democratic process, a majority of MPs who were elected by a majority of Writings believe in carbon pricing, yes believe in what the conservatives uh, would like to see gone the carbon tax, and at a certain point, at what point do you have to sort of um, admit or recognize that that 's the will of the majority of Canadians, and once you 're in power, you can change it, but you can 't force that election. On your own, right. um, and you can't paralyze everything until that election happens. Well, but that's it, if, if this keeps going on for. for, for it next it week. seems
1: like they're going to try because they, they, they had a committee sit until three o'clock in the morning the other day, and I, and, you know, and, and so there's a lot of things going on there. So Nigan, that's the Ottawa bubble perspective as a panelist who's mm-hmm. outside the Ottawa bubble. How do you how do you view this thing from your perch in Winnipeg?
8: Uh, there was a kind of moment uh, last night where uh, the Pierre Paliev took all of his MPs out for a bit of a pep rally about one in the morning or so and, and began to play the song Hell's Bells. And I think that's pretty <laughs> apropos of the situation that happened uh, last night and continues to happen. Um, you know, there's some real... H- hypocrisy amongst the liberals accusing the conservatives uh, it is the liberals who prorogue Parliament it is the liberals who uh, do their own filibustering I mean I mean it's kind of hip- hypocritical for the liberals to say this is about uh their about stopping Parliament in any way. I mean, they certainly do that when they're uh, looking at bills that they don't like. But the fact is that this isn't really about the carbon tax. This is really about the Conservatives trying to make a statement and perform to social media to get those clips. But the problem really is, is those those hypocritical moments didn't just stop there. Uh, it's you know the night that Pierre Polyev is at visiting a synagogue that had been uh, suffering from. A, a, an event, a terrible event of hate. Uh, that same night, uh, their party votes against funding the Jewish Community Center of Greater Vancouver. Uh, the, when they talk about First Nations getting a an exemption for uh, on the carbon tax, they also s- uh, voted against funding childcare on First Nations reserves. I mean, it's a real hypocritical moment, I think, for the Conservatives. And here's the real problem: the problem is, is that if it really is about the carbon tax, the Conservatives have not pitched any idea for climate change and therefore, if you keep saying no, 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 then you don't really have anything that else that you're offering to uh, Canadians. And while right now you don't really need to because you're not in government, I think Canadians are going to begin to notice that you maybe don't have an idea other than to say no or to do tactics like this.
1: Susan, I, I want to pick up on something that Nigam mentioned, and, and that's uh, Pierre Pallé of going to the synagogue in Montreal mm. last night uh, for the first night of Hanukkah, the menorah lighting. There was a lot of anger in liberal benches, liberal Jewish MPs who, because this is a all confidence votes. They were in Ottawa. They didn't leave. So Anthony Housefather couldn't be at that event after the year his community has had. Um, Yara Sachs wasn't at her event in Toronto, but Melissa Lantzman and Roman Baber, who's running there for the Conservatives potentially, were there. And Pierre Paulie was in Montreal. It, it's made some Jewish MPs very angry, considering what has happened this year.
3: Yeah, and they're going to have to hope that the you know that the Jewish community doesn't uh, notice that as well. You know, it's. Um Again, I, I I think that that is a huge issue. I think you know, we're going to hear more about that as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I want to also go back to what Paul was saying, too, about Ukraine. Something's going on with the conservatives in Ukraine. Like, they, this wasn't the first time that they've been voting against um, the Canada-Ukraine free trade agreement, too. And as you said, the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress has taken note of this. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, it allows... And I think, you know, we have to be careful with Trump comparisons or U.S. comparisons. But it does invite comparison to what is going on in the United States right now with holding up aid for Ukraine because parliament- their Congress can't function. So I think, you know, I, I think they want to be really careful with what the fallout of this is so paul on that
1: uh it has been suggested to me uh by various people who understand the conservative voting coalition better than me that if you go back to the things uh, jenny byrne in particular has said when she was a regular on david hurley's podcast about the need for the conservatives to get max bernier's vote and if you can just bring them in that pushes you over where you need to go to get in the first place and there's a lot of people in that coalition who are not supporters of sending money to ukraine and are deep deeply distrustful of ukraine i don't know if that is what is at play here yeah but something it has has moved it seems
7: the way the conservatives the way pierre polyev's team behaved when they were running directly against max bernier in a uh by-election in in manitoba suggests they're going to have their elbows up very high when they're trying to get the the bernier Mm -hmm. vote yeah um and It is true that the U.S. Republicans are uh, ostentatiously uh, done with the Ukraine war because they see it as Biden's war. Um, You don't have to be a Trump Republican to um, show some advanced fatigue with this war. Slovakia just um, uh, elected a government that doesn't support... Ukraine, um, the, there's a real voter fatigue in Eastern Poland where people say, see a lot of Ukrainian refugees notice that a lot of them are quite affluent because of course they're affluent they they come from a modern European country and they're right. still war refugees, but yeah. that bugs people. And so, um, I, I can see why there would be even, even among, uh, what you would expect to be strong conservative, uh, you know, voter pockets, why there'd be some appeal to be playing footsie with with uh, questions like mm-hmm. Op unifier. But I think there's a broader Canadian population. There's a broader Western population. One day, if Pierre Polyev is the Prime Minister of Canada, he's going to have to show up at a NATO summit. And he's going to be speaking to uh, other world leaders who have briefing books. And this will be in those briefing books. Mm-hmm. And um, there, there seems to be a very limited willingness to look past Election Day mm-hmm. on some of this stuff.
6: Mm-hmm.
7: Yeah, Marie, what's your sense of it all?
6: I think that's precisely it. There's a lot of um, short-term strategy of blocking parliament, of uh, opposing the Ukraine-Canada free trade deal, or by going line by line opposing um, the op-unifier funding, which, by the way, I think because it's a, a, not clause by clause, but one-by-one vote from the estimates, they could have voted yes for that one and kept voting no on all the other ones, Mm -hmm. presumably. Uh, So that deliberate choice... Um, short-term for political gain, I think that's where there's a risk in uh, relationships with allies once or if Mr. Polièvre is elected prime Mm -hmm. minister, but also with the broader electorate even in that election. Because we've seen a change of of strategy from the Liberals. I remember speaking to Liberals um, last summer, so a year and a half ago, during the leadership race, and some of them were wondering when are the Liberals going to fight back against Pierre Polièvre's popularity there has been a change recently, and t- to Susan's point, today we received a few emails and saw a lot of tweets of Liberals pointing out what the Conservatives are voting against in the past 24 Video months.
1: clips uh, going out, those will And those, out, will, come back, and book, those right. will
6: come back, and, and, and yes, there are a lot of votes to get on the right side where Maxime Bernier had support, or with Conservatives, or with voters who usually don't vote. But there are a lot of also votes to the more center side of the right. Um, that they they do need to be worried, not worried about, but they do need to be wary about.
1: Yeah, to consolidate. But, but, you know, uh, uh, Enigon, like like we sit here and we parse it and we look at it through that, you know, Ottawa tactical political lens. Uh, They have galvanized public opinion around the affordability issues in a big way and and sort of the the details of the line-by-line votes I I mean, do you think that resonates with a broader Canadian public um, when the overarching argument from the Conservatives is that we're fighting for you to have more money in your pocket? I mean, they've, they've produced video evidence of different things the Liberals may be able to use, the NDP may be able to use, but the number one issue is still the issue they say this is all about.
8: Yeah, uh, mean the fact is that Canadians do like, on the majority, uh, the notion of a carbon tax in concept, but they don't like it when it comes to hitting them in certain elements of their pocketbook, compromising parts of your life and right. so that's the challenge here is that when Canadians start to notice especially in an issue, in a situation of affordability, uh, Canadians start to pick up on issues of going well I do notice that the groceries are more expensive, it must be because of this and the Conservatives are masters at this and we see probably the most interesting thing that's come out over the you know past 24 hours or so are just all the different rhymes and ways, <laughs> ways MPs are coming into a little catchphrases and uh, you know, it's hard not to keep this in mind of like farmers, First Nations families, and mm-hmm. and you know even going to work today. I'm thinking about uh, all the different things that Polyev's doing uh, to try to stop pro- pro- to stop this uh, all the theatrics, and then that that's a phrase that just keeps coming up in your mind. And so, so I think Canadians really do pick up on things that are hurting them personally and uh the conservatives are able to hone in on that and then sort of direct this and i think that's what creates a lot of momentum and particularly in alberta and saskatchewan who if anything uh polyev's numbers are doing very very well in those places the question is is will these kinds of tactics will the tactics of appealing to a very specific area that? carbon tax and attaching that to your pocketbook, will that be able to carry votes within Ontario, within B.C., within Quebec?
1: But You know, um, Susan, so we have farmers, First Nations families. There's also facts. <laughs> we, we had Mike von Massow on the show last night, who's a food economist from the University of Guelph. And it was, you know, we saw the report that food for family four is going to be about $700 more expensive next year. And we went through all the causes the politicians talk about in Ottawa. Is it the carbon tax? And he explained why it wasn't. Is it 234? Would that lead to, you know, if you gave a fuel exemption to farmers, would that lead to lower food? No. Is it greedflation, like Mm. the NDP say? No, it's not that. It's Ukraine. It is supply-side shock. It is flooding in California. It is drought in other places. It is a series of international events. No government can solve
3: and it's not an accident that you see other leaders in other countries in the same kind of dire straits as mm-hmm. uh, as Canada. Joe Biden's numbers are in the tank right now too, and d- people are dissatisfied with the way things are going. And it is very easy to blame one person. You know that uh, it's all or one just issue. One issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's all Justin Trudeau's fault. Um, you know, I I I think the slogans are going to be what's remembered. Unfortunately, yeah. you know, I wrote a whole book on p- political marketing, and it does work. Um, I wonder though, in like Marie, what they've got up their sleeves next. And again, I'm going to sound really old here, but I was here when the liberal senators held up the GST. In the Senate, mm-hmm. and Wow! Turned, I know. I've read about it. <laughs> that was before my time. I've seen the black and white footage. No, That's it's right. Right. <laughs> yeah. But um, they they actually did have a legitimate reason for what they were doing. What they were doing the conservatives threw out the rules book in the yeah. in the Senate. Uh, nobody remembered that. Nobody remembered mm. the complicated reason that the liberal senators did that. They just said, "You're turning Parliament into a joke." Yeah. And. Um, the Liberal Senators felt backlash for that for a long time, even though most Canadians hated the GST. They, they, I, I think the Conservatives... I. We may live in different times now and people put up with more antics and more shenanigans or whatever we call them, but um, I'd be really... This is a week where Pierre Polyev was standing up in the House of Commons, in the case of Greg Fergus, making the case that the sanctity of Parliament has to be respected, that, you know... Uh, that, you know, that it's too serious a job to, you know, to be in partisan messes. And then his answer to that is to make a partisan mess and, yeah. um, in the House of Commons. I, again, most people are not going to be watching this, this closely. Mm-hmm. We are talking inside the bubble here, but um, I do wonder where Canadians draw the line between a stunt and uh, an, an act of protest.
6: I think it also depends when they want to go home for Christmas. Yeah. Uh, he's saying he he'll he'll hold a poller well, I, I'm having, having a hard time speaking English tonight. <laughs> he's saying that he's going to hold up Parliament um, past the scheduled Christmas break, sure. which is technically next Friday. I believe he said the same thing about the summer break, and then the Conservatives agreed to rise one day early in June. So yeah. it, it, it's also unclear how long he he can keep these um, antics, to use Susan's <laughs> word, um, much longer, unless they, they restart in January. I don't know, everything's possible, but... Um, that is really the, the, the balance, though. How long do they keep doing this that it's profitable and not starts being counterproductive?
1: But, you know, Paul, just to go back to, like, the, the slogan issue and, and the political challenges, these really unsolvable problems through a policy solution are, are creating for leaders. Like, Mark Ruta lost to Geert Wilders, you know what I mean, in the Netherlands. Like, you are seeing this sort of shift yeah. uh, towards a, a, a more populist, uh, less institutional vibe, you know, in in a lot of electorates in in Western countries, and it feels like that is happening to some degree here.
7: Yeah, and I I, I also think that it's easy for people who live with this stuff all the time in Ottawa Mm -hmm. to underestimate the amount of frustration Mm -hmm. there is with the fact that all these people in suits are talking, and my local situation is not getting easier. Mm -hmm. And so uh, some people just want to see the world burn. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, like, serious? <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Nigani stole your line. Uh, but you know, but you're not wrong. Because I remember, uh, and just Nigani will give you the last word, just, uh, I would go home to Newfoundland every year for vacation, and I'd come back here and say, man, oh man, people are angry.
3: Mm-hmm. And,
1: yes. and after covering the Danny Williams wars against Stephen Harper, where conservatives didn't have a chance to get elected, I'm like, Four, five of the seven seats. Now it's a small place, you know, like it won't swing things, but it's indicative of like a rural Atlantic Canada vibe, which which is definitely happening. Right. Nigan, give us your last words of wisdom as we
8: bring the Friday power panel to a uh, close. Well Paul took my Joker reference. So I was <laughs> yeah. to that. Um, but here's what I'll say, i mean, that's that's a really important kind of reference. I mean, uh, I, I actually don't think that the conservatives are angry. I think they're strategic. I think mm. they see this. As gaining a whole lot of political traction uh, traction and the reality is is that they do have a pretty strong base that's looking at them seeing that Ottawa isn't working and uh, people that then announce and pronounce and demonstrate that Ottawa can't work is quite favorable mm-hmm. I mean this is uh, it may not be that people are angry per se, at uh, at this these tactics, but they're probably happy that someone is out there throwing a monkey wrench into something they already see as heavily broken, and then just watching it, all the different things fall apart as it goes, and, and this may be a political tactic that is really working, and until yeah. Canadians start to see that there may be something that they want Ottawa to do, um, it probably won't change all that much, and I don't want to end on such a down note, especially around the holiday season, so <laughs> I'll just say, I think they're all going to be celebrating Christmas at home. Mm. Look, uh,
1: uh, look, y- 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 I-, I think you're 100% Politics. right. I-, I see no procedural mechanism. Uh, yeah. I-, I guarantee you, by next Friday, this is going to be over. Uh, yeah. There is no procedural mechanism. They get through this tonight in the estimates. The appeal of down the committees. eggnog
6: and the Christmas presents <laughs> is, well, is stronger. It, it,
1: Christmas Heritage Month, according to the legislation. <laughs> yeah. So you want to celebrate. All right, King, thank you so much. Thank you to the Friday Power Panel, Marie Vestel, Susan Delacour, Paul Wells, and Nigan Sinclair. Okay, we've got an update for you now on a Canadian who was stuck in Gaza when the war began. Aziah Mathcore has been sending us updates through voice notes when her family first got stuck in Gaza on October 7th. She was there with her two children and parents, who were also Canadian citizens, as well as other family members who were not. Her husband being one of those people. Well, Azia's sister-in-law, May Latif, has joined us on this show several times to give us updates on the status of the family. But inconsistent communications lines, last-minute evacuations from one house to another, on top of illness and lack of food and water, made the updates quite short and very bleak. At times, May told us the only comfort she had was a text from Azia simply saying, we are still alive. Well, a few weeks ago, May gave us the good news that Azia, five-year-old Salam, and two-year-old Salma are now safely out of Gaza, as are Azia and her husband. Azia Mathcour and May Latif. join us now, and we're going to talk about Azia's experience and May's experience uh, witnessing it uh, from here in Canada. So, uh, Azia, it's lovely to meet you after talking about you so much on this show. You finally made it out of Gaza after weeks of fear for you, for your children. How are you feeling now that you're safe?
9: Um, I don't feel well, to be honest. Uh, there is survival guilt, and there is lots of uh, worry, and I'm not settled. And um, there's still family back uh, in Gaza. Uh, my father's still back in Gaza. So yes, I am safe now. There's not. There's no bombs dropping on us. Physically, I am safe. Psychologically, I'm not. My mind and um, my thoughts are all in Gaza. My heart is in Gaza. My father is in Gaza. So that, um, yes, I survived, you know, getting bombed, but I, I'm, I'm not well. We are not. Yeah, not all my kids are well, not my husband, not my mother. We're not well to be honest.
1: Can you just explain, your father is still in Gaza. Can you just explain to me why that is? Was he unable to leave? Did he choose to stay, as some people have decided to do? What What is his status?
9: My my father decided uh, that he needs to stay back because uh, all his siblings, uh, like my uncles, my aunts, they're families. And uh, he is the person who takes care of the whole family. So he, he was it was impossible for him to leave uh until this to, to until today we are trying to convince him and he every day we talk to him uh we try to con- to connect with him and uh the situation is just keeps getting worse and he's like i cannot leave them behind yeah. who's going to take care of them and um a lot of people are seeking uh seeking him for help or uh housing uh for money for anything that he could offer um so uh, for him, it's really hard to to leave anyone behind. And he knows it's impossible to get all his extended family, like all his um, brothers and sisters and their families outside of Gaza.
1: So uh, your father is still there, uh, but as May has been telling us in, in our many conversations, you, you have made it out with, with, with your two children, Salma and, and Salam. And uh, you can understand the desire of any parent to get their kids to safety, even if others have to stay behind. I just wonder how they're doing right now that they're out of Gaza? Um,
9: My children are, right now, it's been almost a month since we've left. So they are, you know, they're they're kids. They're trying, you know, their best. Uh, We're trying our best to, you know, keep them always busy. Um, They're still uh, under so much stress. Um, I mean, like the tantrums are extra. Um, even us as adults were unable to cope with their tantrums because we're all so stressed. Uh, we went so, through so m- so many tra- uh, like traumatic experiences. And also, um, Salma and Salam, when they see a plane um, just descending or they hear any loud noises, they, 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 they just do this. And then Salma would run to me and then she would say, war, war, war or rockets, rocket, um, she gets really scared. And obviously we would have to like, you know, we are in Egypt, we are safe, don't worry. This is not Gaza. So, yeah.
1: Um, so, so May, clearly um, the, the family still has uh, some, some healing and recovery to do, to, to deal with the trauma of all of that, but they're out. Um, how, how did it feel for you to, to finally hear that, that the family members you and I have spoken about so many times were finally able to get to safety?
10: Yeah, it's a mix of emotions, uh, definitely a sense of relief, particularly for the children. Um, uh, but there's so much pain that it's hard to feel joy. So there's the, the joy comes in moments, um, just reminding ourselves that they're safe, everything's good, because there was a time where we didn't know if that was a possibility. Um, but it's a long journey. We, as Asya mentioned, we have a lot of loved ones who are there. On a daily basis, we receive, we receive news that someone has been murdered, um, either from their family or family friend. Um, so we're sitting in, in deep grief, but at the same time, very grateful for um, the people who are safe and for any good news that comes our way.
1: I, I know, May, um, you know, Asia and her family were able to get out uh, because of Canadian citizenship and the help of the Canadian government. Um, I know her father has decided to stay behind. Do you have other family members who are there who might be able to leave because of a, a clear attachment to Canada or the family members who are there uh, either of other nationalities and, and not sort of in that group of people that, that Canada is able to, to lobby for?
10: So as Asia mentioned, there's a, a- a large amount of people who can't leave Mm -hmm. because they do not have any dual uh, citizenships. Um, We do know of friends who are either American, um, European, or Canadian, who have chosen to stay either because they're doctors or uh, they're in a position where they can assist and they've chosen to stay behind. Um, And we have people that, because of... um, The fact that we've been on the news, we have people who do reach out to us to talk to us, to ask for support, um, who just tell us, please, is there any way you can get us out? And unfortunately, there isn't. Like, please, if you can just get out our children, uh, it's okay if we stay behind. And this has been quite difficult on us because we feel helpless. We help when we can. um, And I think that also helps us feel better. It doesn't feel as overwhelming when you're just witnessing the uh, atrocities and not being able to do anything. But it's a very complicated situation just because of the fact that some can go, some can't, and some who are able to go are deciding not to because they're staying behind to help their people.
1: Azia, you're still in Egypt, um, recovering, stabilizing, after everything you've been through. Uh, I I would presume um, the plan is to come back to Canada, Uh, but given what you've told us about how your kids react to planes, how, how do you get them out a plane to fly back here? I mean, how do you think you're going to be able to navigate that?
9: Um, I think it's just going to take uh, quite some time uh, for them to get used to, you know, um, to get settled in their bodies, to, um, they will, they will, you know what I mean? Like they will know that it's safe once they uh, go through maybe a month or two of, you know, not hearing bombs, not hearing, um, seeing us so, like, scared uh, or, um, you know, uh, evacuating from one place to another, um, that will just, I think with time they're going to know that it's going to be safe to get on a plane. And, of course, I'm going to have to, you know, show them that, hey, um, videos of airplanes where people fly to one uh uh, country to another country um, um, and I have all my siblings are in Canada now so I will try to motivate them that hey we're going to go see your uncles their cousins you No, know?
1: yeah that's, that's going to be a challenge I, I've got two kids and I, I dread taking them on an airplane and it's, there's none of these under, underlying conditions that, that you have to deal with right so all of this I mean it delays uh, May and Asia I guess an in-person reunion um, for a little while Uh when how soon do you hope to actually uh may hope to to see your sister in law in the flesh?
10: It's hard. I don't know. I'm hoping within the next month or so um things start to settle and um maybe even we go there to support them, to come back to help them in the travel um in their journey. Um as she said, the the children have experienced evacuating and and I'll Word it better, running, really fleeing from one place to another. So I think it's good for them to be settled for a while in one place and not having to come to a completely new environment again. Um, and to hopefully do that when they feel safe, safer, that is.
1: No, th- th- that makes a lot of sense. Uh, um, Asia, given everything Salma and, and Salam have been through, to, to stabilize it and comfort them. Uh, for a little while it is likely the top priority right now. Um, there are growing calls for a ceasefire in this conflict. It doesn't seem like that is imminent or, or probable in, in the near future Asia. And uh, the, the military incursion has pushed further south into Gaza, into the, sort of near the area where, where you've been taking refuge. I, I just wonder what you're hoping to see happen next in this conflict, uh, what, what broader message you might have for people watching this at home.
9: Um. A ceasefire, an immediate ceasefire. That's number one, um, especially that they are moving into the south. And honestly, I cannot express or have the words to tell you how many people they call me on a daily basis from Khan Yunus, friends. Uh, friends that are uh, telling me, hey, please, can you find us a place in Rafah? Can we rent a place in Rafah? Um, uh, is there anywhere safe we can go? Can you call your father? Uh, is you know, people. My father told me that our uh, extended family, they came from Khan Yunus, about 50 people, um, uh, and they had to lay out tents literally um, outside the house because there's no space in the house to, to house another 50 people. There's already 100 people in that house. Um, and the situation is getting worse and worse. Uh, uh, there's no food, there's no clean water, uh, even for, uh, females, there's no, um, pads, there's nothing there. They, they can't shower. They can't, um, it's, it's a, it's a very, uh, dire situation, honestly. And as, as people at home, we need to put, uh, um, We need to put pressure on on our our government to um to call out for a ceasefire because as a human as a human i'm sure people don't want to see other normal civilians getting all murdered um and also for um i know that i've heard from a a program a new program called uh, a family reunification where uh People from Canada, uh, like they could, um, they could apply for their relatives in Gaza to get them out because what I've known that so many people uh, Canadians right now, they're trying to get their parents, their siblings uh, or their uh, siblings' families, and they're not able to because that in the law is not an immediate uh, family member. So we need to, we need to get that motion moved so that people like, you know, a doctor in Canada spoke to me and she cannot get her mother or brother outside of Gaza. Right.
1: Right. May, uh, just a, a quick final thoughts from you on, on what do you hope happens next. What, what's your message to people watching?
10: Well, you know, throughout this experience of me coming on the news and, and sharing our story, um, I've had an, a large amount of pouring in of support and love, and um, that's been helping me really remain in my humanity as I bear witness to atrocities, specifically brutal murder of children. And what I'm being reminded of on a daily basis that the vast majority of people are choosing human life uh, over suffering. Um, The vast majority of people do want a ceasefire, are confused that our countries here, democratic countries, here in the West um, are not, our leaders are not choosing the same thing. And um, the work I've been doing is really connecting on the micro level with people from various nationalities, um, uh, including Jewish people, Israeli nationalities who have been reaching out to provide their support. Um, and we've been connecting really on in the area that no human should suffer, no human should die in that way and um, trying to create healing circles for people who can come together, have these conversations to remind them that love is truly greater than everything we're seeing right now. And I think if we continue to do that work as humans on the micro level, that's eventually going to play out in the macro. Our leaders are going to catch on to the fact that any suffering, no matter anywhere in the world, is something we have to stand up for because it affects us as humans. And and so that's the message I want to, leave is don't be scared to have conversations with people from all sides. Um, most people really just want the suffering to end and are not wishing harm on others, just like we're seeing um, stories playing out in the news. It's, it's not the reality. The experiences are much more nuanced.
1: Well, May Latif, uh, thank you for speaking with me uh, throughout this and, and sharing your, your story with uh, us. And, and Azia, I'm so glad you're safe. I, I'm very happy to meet you. And uh, All my best to you and and Salma and and Salam and your husband. Uh, Thank you so much.
10: Thank you also for sharing our story. That's it for
1: today. If you like this episode, please follow the pod and catch our next live show on CBC News Network. We're on weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm David Cochran. Thanks for listening.